All right. Well, once again, great to be here. Great to, great to have you at Refresh. Thank you for coming and sharing uh, your Saturday morning with us and, and, and worshipping God together. And um, Yeah, just being part of our Refresh family. Uh, this, this week, we're going to start a brand new series uh, called Turn It Up. And, and I guess the, the gist of the series, the, what we're talking about is, is how to live life better and how to, how to live life with Christ and, and to not just, not just to go along, you know, not just to sort of just do the ho-hum sort of stuff in life uh, that often happens, but is to, is to actually, uh, I guess, turn up the volume on our, on our Christian experience. And, and so we're going we're gonna to hit that over the next three or four weeks. And uh, included in that, as I said before, is our baptism, which I think is pretty much right at the pinnacle of making big calls for Christ. So that's pretty cool. Question. If I have, if I, if I, not going to, don't have the time, don't want to embarrass you in any case, but if I asked you, has anyone here ever had sort of problem neighbours before in their life? Like any, any show of hands, maybe even just a little like hint where you've gone, you know what, I've had some pretty ordinary neighbours. Uh, for whatever reason, yeah, okay, a few hands going up. So most people understand what I'm talking about when we talk about problem neighbours. Now, it could be, it could be they're just noisy, it could be they're very noisy, uh, it could be like late, you know, it could be late parties or it could be fighting, it could be, um, these are sort of some things I've experienced, uh, you know, it could be a dog next door that won't shut up. Um, I remember one time we lived in a house and as soon as the owners left, it was just across the road, as soon as the owners left, uh, the dog, this, this German shepherd, would just sit at the gate and just bark at the gate, like just, oh, 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 just for hours. And they left at 5.30 every morning, which was fantastic. Uh, you know, that's like living with people and living with our neighbours can be a great experience, but it also can be, uh, can be a pretty ordinary experience. Uh, I remember when I was at university and I was living out at Gatton and Gatton had a bit of a reputation because Gatton's like a little country town, it's only very small, you know, only a, like less than, I don't know, what is it, 5,000 people maybe, just a little country town but there's this huge population of rentals and they're all uni students and all these like people coming in from the scrub uh, who maybe their social etiquette wasn't quite up to standard. Um, so they had a bit of a reputation and, and people didn't really like any student. Like, and even there was plenty of people who you couldn't even rent the house. If you're a student, you can't rent the house. That was just like, that's how it went. Uh, but I remember this one time where I was, I, I was at uni for a few years and uh, I had a six month block. So I actually moved away uh, and did some prac and I came back and I was going to rent a house with a few mates again and we were going to get together and we were going to do that sort of, like, you know, share, share accommodation, share the cost. And a month or so or a few weeks before it was time to come back, I rung all my mates up and they all said, no, nah, we're not coming back. And so I was the only one who had to come back, and which meant I had nowhere to live, as in no people to live with uh, that, that I knew. Like, literally, it was just, I didn't know anyone. They all just left. And I, so I just went to the newspaper and, you know, a room for rent type stuff. And so I moved into this house with... I think there was a six-bedroom house and with five other students that I had no idea who they were. And so, as you could imagine, that's a pretty, it can be a pretty interesting experience, and, uh, and it was. And I remember, I remember one night, I, there was a, a two-storey split-level uh, house, and I was in a bedroom directly under someone else's bedroom. And there was this girl that lived there, and she decided one night that 
she was just going to have her music up loud like till like three, four in the morning. Like, you know, what do you do? And I'm talking like cranked up real loud and like there's like this much between me and the music and you're just thinking, now, you start asking yourself the question, should I just like go for a drive and sleep in my car for the night or, you know, after you do the normal, like let's politely ask things, to, you know, turn it down, but no, that doesn't work. You know, so it's interesting living with neighbours. Um, I lived in another house where I did have mates. Sometimes I did have friends. And there was two other, two other mates who lived in this one house. And it was a, this was at uni again. And it was a, up on a steep hill. And because it was a steep hill, it obviously cost a few dollars to put a driveway in. So the driveway was shared between the next door neighbour and us. And so we sort of lived, even though it was a regular size house block, we sort of lived pretty close together. And we could, we'd look out over their house and they, they would see us. Now, they were, they were an elderly couple, uh, retired, you know, not frail, frail, but they were, you know, they were elderly. And they had, um, they had all these, uh, I remember all these, like, hanging pot plants and all these garden stuff going on and, you know, just sort of a fairly stocko elderly couple. And my mates and that, they moved in and rented the house before I, before I turned up. And so when I turned up, um, you know, I got the worst room, all that sort of stuff, because I was last there, that's normal. And... And then I, I remember talking about the neighbours and one of my friends said, oh, it's Mr and Mrs Potter. And I said, oh, have you met them? Yeah, yeah, we said g'day to them. And so I thought, you know what, I know that this place has a bad reputation for students. Like, I was still living in Gatton, this is when I was at uni. I know this place, no one likes students, so I'm going to do my very, very best to actually be the really nice neighbour and I'm going to get to know Mr and Mrs Potter. And, and, I'd, and every morning I'd see them, I'd say, hello, Mrs. Potter, and she wouldn't even look at me, I'd turn around, like just literally would just like turn her back and just walk back inside. Or Mr. Potter would be out there, go, Mr. Potter, and he'd just like look at me like real sort of nearly angry look, and he'd just like turn around. I think, mate, they must have had some bad neighbours here in the past. And so I remember I, I worked on it for like, oh, it was like August, September, somewhere like five, six, seven months plus, and... Uh, and, and I, was, I was super friendly, I thought, no. Nah. And my, my mates, they wouldn't even bother talking to them like that. They were just like, oh, yeah, whatever, old people. And I went, no, nah, I'm going to be different. I'm going to be the nicest neighbour in, you know, in, in this place. And so I remember every morning, hello, Mrs Potter. And to the point where as soon as I'd walk out the door, if they were outside, they'd walk inside. I was like, man, what's going on with that? And then one morning, I was talking to my mates. In, in, they were just in the lounge room doing whatever. Not studying, probably, but whatever. And... And I remember starting to talk about Mr. and Mrs. Potter next door. And they made a reference to all their pot plants that were next door. And then it occurred to me, their name wasn't Mr. and Mrs. Potter at all. In fact, they've never even met Mr. and Mrs. whoever they were, but they just made up their name as Mr. and Mrs. Potter, all right? Like, because they had all these pot plants. And I thought, oh my goodness. Here I am being the nicest, thinking I'm the nicest, and they're just thinking, man, what arrogant whatever, you know, students live next door, ripping us off. After that, I felt so bad. Like, I, just, I went and checked their mail and, oh, it's Mrs. Robinson. Like, that was their name. I was like, <laughs> we all have to live with dodgy neighbours sometimes, right? And sometimes, sometimes the people around us can be quite obnoxious. That was me, inadvertently, but that was me. Other times, you know, we, other times the neighbours are pretty good and, you know, we can have some good conversations with our neighbours and get to know neighbours quite well. Um... We're going to talk about turning stuff up. And, and I guess with, it, with our Christian experience, you know, sometimes, sometimes you can have some really, really noisy neighbours 
And sometimes, you know, the party late into the night, whatever, and you're just like, oh man, you know, what point do you call the police and what point do you like say, you know, you don't want to be a, a, a you know, a neighbour that's always sort of having a go at everyone. You don't want to make things bad for yourself in, you know, in this situation. But what point do you go, no, nah, well, stuff it, I'm just going to call, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we all have to live there. Um, and sometimes the noisy neighbour might not be noisy as in the decibels that it has, you know, it might not be just the, the volume of their music or the cars that come in and out or something, but they're just like in your face um, and they're just like, man, I just, and you see them coming or you see them drive in and out, probably a bit like Mr and Mrs Robinson, uh, you know, they're just like, man, as soon as they saw me coming, they just turn around and go inside, like, you know, just like, no, nah, I just don't want anything to do with that, like, I'm just not going near that person. Um, sometimes it's a bit like that with our Christian experience. Sometimes we, I don't know, and I don't know if you can think back, and if you've been, there, like there could be all types of people here today and that's, oh, that's fantastic. Some people in here might be, you know, been a Christian for, for years and years and years and years and that's awesome. Other people, it might be five or ten years. Other people, you might be your first time and you're really just starting to get your handle on this God stuff. Uh, other people might be still like, mm, don't even know if I'm really into this yet. And that's cool. But for those who have been around a little while, I want you to maybe think back and, and and, and probably all of us who have been in that, are in that category might be able to think of a time when, you know what, I used to be really on fire for God. We used to talk about this on fire for God stuff, you know, like, and, and it was all sort of just really, yeah, and it was like we were doing stuff and we were, we were making things happen and, and I was excited and I was reading my Bible and I was praying and my prayers were just like happening and, and there's this time of like, you know, quite often a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us can think of these times where it's like, when I look back, it was just, it was going off. But haven't sort of been there for a while. It's sort of just been a bit, oh, yeah, it's cool, it's all right, you know, it's not, not bad, it's just, just been toned down a little bit. And see, quite often people around us, quite often our peers or our, you know, our colleagues at work or our peers at school or, or, or whoever it might be, often, not always, but often, seem to just have this way of putting pressure on us just it's not verbal, maybe it is, maybe it's not, but often it's not really necessarily a verbal, like, oh, mate, you need to just slow down a bit in your Christian experience, all right, which is not appreciated here. Maybe you get a bit of that, I don't know, it depends where you work, all that. But quite often there's this pressure to just, mate, just tone it down. Just keep it to a level, just turn the volume down a little bit on this whole Christian experience. Keep it to a level where it's cool for you to do, if that's what you're into, that's cool, but don't, I don't want to be impacted by it. It's like when you're driving down a highway or, you know, and you pull up at a set of lights or something down, you know, down a major road. You pull up at a set of lights and there's this guy in a Commodore with his you know, window down and he's on big green pea plate out the back and the music's just you know, like pumping. And you're thinking, mate, don't you realise that not everybody actually likes that same sort of stuff that comes out of your speakers as everyone else. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're saying to you, like, just turn it down. And you feel this pressure, like, oh, okay, you know. But they're, they're like, yeah, it's cool. You just, it's, if it's all right for you, that's, for, that's fine, but we just don't want anything to do with it. And so we do. Quite often we just, we turn our Christian experience down to sort of like a, it's there, it's on. Okay, the play, the play button's being pressed. But not too many around us can hear unless they get really, really close. Not too many of us, not too many of our friends, not too many of our colleagues, not too many of our peers or whatever they are, really know too much about our Christian experience unless they get really close to us, unless they become really close. From a distance, yeah, all looks the same. And so today, I'd really love for us to think about how can I become 
maybe not so normal. Maybe not so, maybe, maybe turn that volume up, turn it up just a little bit. That people around us, and I'm not talking about being so blaring, you know, loud that it's just obnoxious and all that sort of stuff because, yeah, no, that turns people off real quick. But how do we actually turn the volume up? How do we actually make our, make our God's experience uh, just a little bit more real, a little bit more living, a little bit more like you can feel it? Not just, not just hear the audio, you know, in the background, but you can feel the music a little bit, if you know what I'm saying. How do we go about that? I want, to, um, I want to turn in the Bible to, uh, to a couple of passages. And uh, I guess I'll just fill you in the, in, in the background. We're going to go to Acts uh, chapter 4 in a minute. We're going to talk about uh, Peter and John. But before we do that, I want to fill you in on... I want to fill you in on a little bit of their journey before we get there, to just, to, I guess, to put in the context of what's happening. All right, so we have the disciples, okay? So... Um, if you're new to this church stuff, let me just quickly explain. So you've got Jesus. Uh, I'm going to make a presumption that you sort of heard a bit about Jesus. And you've got the disciples, which are like Jesus' close friends. There's a dozen of those guys, plus his other followers and all that sort of stuff. But Jesus spent some close times with these, with these guys. The thing about Jesus is when he cut loose, when he started doing his ministry, he did some amazing things. Like some stuff that we all, I mean, if you've, sitting, if you've been sitting in these seats for a while, if you've been lining up, you know, sitting in rows at churches for, the, for all of your life, so to speak, these sort of stuff, you go, oh yeah, I've heard it all before, you know, all these like miracles and amazing things and all that stuff. Put yourself, put yourself in the seat of the, of the disciples, one of Jesus' friends. Here's this guy who comes along, he's only a young buck, like he's not all that old, only 30 or whatever, so he's only a relatively young guy. And he starts doing this amazing stuff. Like I'm talking, I'm talking like performing like miracles, like supernatural stuff. And you're his close friends and he's actually asked you to follow along beside him. He's actually asked you to, to, to help out in that ministry and he's been trying to sort of mentoring you along and teaching. And, and you know, this is, this is way outside your comfort zone. And as Jesus does this, as he, as he goes about, as he, as, he, as he does his stuff, uh, these guys are just blown away. You know, he walks up to, a, to, to this blind guy and he says, oh, you know, what's the matter, mate? He's like, well, clearly, can't see nothing. And so he heals him. So he just makes him, you know... No optom- optometrist fees. He's just he's he's cured. This guy's wow! I can see again. Like you imagine, you imagine being beside that. And I mean, it's, again, you know, we all yeah, yeah, he healed the blind, he healed the lame, you know. What? But think about the reality of that. There was some cool stuff going down. There was some cool stuff happening with that. And and the disciples were just man, this is amazing. And you know, and then he started talking about how he was a son of God and that he was actually from God, that he actually lived in heaven and he's like he's God in human form. And there's like. Like, we're mates with a God. Like, it's, it's just like mind-blowing. How do you get your head around that? And then they realise that there's something, something pretty special happening here. It's not just like this one-hit wonder. It's not just something that, you know, that Jesus is going to just heal a whole bunch of people and feed a whole bunch of people and, and help a whole, whole nation. It's, it's actually bigger than that. This is actually part of the, a, a, a plan for, for history. And these guys are just thinking, wow. And we're sort of, we're sort of amongst that. And as they, as they went through time, as they, as they, as they journeyed with Jesus, and, and as things got sort of, I guess, more and more heated and he helped more and more people, it got to the point where he, not only did he have so many followers, but he had, a, he had a good number of enemies as well. And those enemies eventually said, you know what, we don't like what this guy's doing, we're going to shut him up. The only way to shut him up, because he has so much power, is we've got to get rid of him. And we've got to really get rid of him altogether, so they killed him. Imagine that from a disciple's perspective. Imagine that... You, that 
he's this guy who you thought was like invincible now he's hanging on a cross and in fact they all disperse they all run because they thought they thought that there was this big plan all teed up and didn't go to plan think about it from the disciples perspective think about without you know the future many of you will know what happened next but think about it if you didn't know what happened next imagine that imagine just thinking wow and that's what happened and they all they all took off then he then they sort of come back together and he, he like he died and and then on Sunday in fact if we go to um, Luke 24 before we get to Acts uh, I haven't got it up on the big screen today Simo's not here and a few things have changed with the computer so we're uh, just gonna have to listen to me or if you have a Bible or a phone or whatever it is uh, pull it out and uh, go to Luke 24. Um, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, so this, so what's happened here is Sunday. This is like Sunday. They've all come back together. They're in a house. They've actually locked the door uh, because they're scared. They're scared of the Jews because what had happened is they'd just taken their leader and they just killed him. They just like literally one of their own has just been knocked off okay so they're not there and they're like freaking out like what do we do next like what is happening with this like where are we going with this and so they're meeting in this house and they're all just there together and while they were this is verse 36 while they were still there talking about this Jesus himself stood among them and said to them peace be with you put yourself in the disciples shoes this is freaky all right this is weird stuff so first of all Jesus dies and then all of a sudden in this locked room, in this locked house, he just turns up and says, here's going. How you doing, fellas? You know, it's cool. Don't panic, don't panic. It's all right, it's just me. And they're just like, well... They were startled, verse 37, they were startled and frightened, thinking they, saw, they had saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands, look at my feet. It is myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and become bones. Uh, does not have flesh and bones as I have. And then he showed them his feet and he showed him his hands and he said, look, if you still don't believe me, give me some food. If you think I'm a ghost, if you think I'm some sort of apparition, some sort of spirit thing or whatever, just, just give me some food. So he ate some fish. Jesus, and they're just like, whoa, we thought we saw it all before. <laughs> look at this now. And here Jesus, just, here Jesus just reveals himself to these guys and they're just, they're blown away. Before Jesus appeared, they were freaking out. Before Jesus appeared, they thought they'd seen it all, they thought they had all the answers, but really they were scared as and they had locked themselves away in a house because they were fearful that the same fate that Jesus, that the same things that Jesus happened to, happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. They were staring down the barrel of the same treatment that Jesus got that they would also get. So they're scared, they're locked themselves away, they're hiding in a house where no one can find them. And Jesus turns up. And that's when they realised, that's when they realised, hang on a minute, death doesn't have the power over Jesus, there's something bigger going on here. So that's the background, alright, that's a little bit of the background of the story, but it's an important part of the picture, so I wanted to fill you in, and just to put that into context. Then we go over to Acts chapter 4, and this is the sort of part of the story where I, I want to concentrate. And we go over to Acts chapter 4, now... Peter and John, so this is two of those disciples, they're, they're heading off to the temple one day, so they're not locking themselves in the room anymore. This is after Jesus left. This is a little while later, okay? Uh, this is after Jesus went back to heaven and stuff like that. Peter and John, they're, they're happy, they're, they're cruising around, they're going to the temple one day to, to pray. And 
outside the temple is this guy and he's, he's lame as in he can't walk, he's, his legs are all busted up for whatever reason uh, and, and he's, he's beggar, right? that's how he makes his living, he's like he can't work for, for a living, there's no social security, no Centrelink, so he's just putting out his hand and if he can get a few, a few shekels or whatever it might have been, he, he eats that night. And he says to, to uh, Peter and John, how about some money? And when you go into the temple, you're probably going to throw some money into the temple coffers or whatever. How about you throw a few coins my way? And Peter and John, they, um, they basically say to this guy, look, nah, it's not going to happen. Don't have a lot of money. Can't give you anything, but I'll tell you what I can give you. Can't give you any money, but I'll tell you what I can give you. And they've seen Jesus do this before and they'd experienced this, so they thought, we'll do this again. And so they said, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk, rise up and walk. And so this guy who's been lame just gets up and he's just gone off, he's just gone off his nut. And he's started dancing around, carrying on like a pork chop, all that sort of stuff. Like, he's, just gone, he's just gone ridiculously stupid. He's just like, man, I can walk. He's so excited. And why wouldn't you be, right? He's just like, I don't... Like, and he's just going around. He's telling everyone how fantastic it is. And these guys are like, yeah, whatever. And they just go on their way. Now, the leaders, the authorities... The same guys that only not too long early, only probably a few weeks earlier, or whatever it was, not don't exactly know exactly how long, but only, only a short period of time later, they thought they'd gotten rid of Jesus. They thought they'd gotten rid of this whole idea of this Jesus of Nazareth who was like this supposed son of God and, and was performing all these miracles, all this sort of stuff. They thought that was like, right, hey, we've put that to rest. It's all gone. And now here are a couple of his followers doing exactly the same thing. And he's like, oh man, what are we going to do with this? And so they actually, they, they actually, all these authorities, all these, all these Pharisees they were called, they actually get together and they arrest Peter and John, throw them in jail overnight. Remember, that's what happened to Jesus as well. Like he was arrested one, well, one night and he was put in jail and the next day he was dead. Peter and John are put in prison and then they were questioned. And, and we're going to go to verse 13 of chapter four of Acts. So Acts four, verse thirteen, if you've got it on your phone or your Bible or whatever it is. Um, and here the teachers, they basically say to, to Peter and John, they said, Look, we understand, we get it. We understand that there's a, something pretty amazing going on here with this God stuff, right? So they sort of admit there's something pretty powerful happening here. But we don't like it. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna shut you guys up. And we're going to let you out of jail, we'll let you off, we'll let you go, we'll let you walk on a condition. And that condition is you keep your mouth shut. That condition is I don't want you to say anything about this God stuff. That condition is you just go peacefully, you just go quietly. We killed the last guy, we could kill you as well, just remember that. But we're just going to let you go if you promise not to say anything. You remember these guys only a few weeks ago were packing death basically. They were, they were held up in a room in behind a locked door hoping that those same people never found them. Hoping that those same authorities would not find the group of disciples and that group of followers. And this is the response. All right, so after that conversation, this is what Peter and, 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 uh, Peter and John have to say. Verse 13. Uh, this, is, and this is when they saw the courage of Peter and John. That's like when the Pharisees, when the leaders saw the courage. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Okay, point number one is that these guys are just ordinary blokes, right? They're just, they're just like from the back blocks. They're, they're, 
bogans. I don't know. You know, like they're just, if you get the picture, like they're just, they're just like, these guys shouldn't, shouldn't have any business with doing this sort of stuff. These guys are, these guys are just like, I mean, they, they shouldn't know anything about this stuff. But they took note that they, these men had been with Jesus. Verse 14, but since they could see that the man had been healed, standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. God's alive. Jesus is alive. God is real. Through the power of Jesus, the name of Jesus Christ, this guy's been healed. There's nothing they could say. It's obvious. These guys are going, well, they're scratching their head and they're, they're putting their, their heads together and thinking, what can we say? It's clear. It's obvious. You can't deny it, but nothing they could say. Verse 15. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and confer together. That's the, that's the, that's the authorities. What are we going to do with them? They asked. Everybody in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further amongst, among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. All right? that's, the, that's the hush money type thing. All right? That's the motive. We won't give any money, but the hush, the hush agreement was we'll let you out. Then they called them in again and commanded them, do not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And this is where it gets pretty interesting. Remember the journey that those disciples had been on, that Peter and John and the rest of the disciples, they'd been with Jesus, it was all fantastic. Then there was this huge low when Jesus was, was crucified and they were just like, man, they're just like, what's going to happen next? And they're packing death. But Jesus appears to them and there's something that happens when Jesus appears that, that they realise that, you know what, we're not going to hold back. But Peter and John, this is verse 19, but Peter and John reply, judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. These guys, these humble fishermen, as it's just described, as the Pharisees themselves just described, these humble fishermen stand before the authorities and just basically tell them, I don't give a rip. I don't care what you say to me. They're just like, they're, imagine, imagine being called into a court and, you know, and the judge or whatever, they're like, right, this is how it's going to work. And it's just like, and they have the power to send you to prison, set pe- power to, to kill, whatever it might be. And they just turned around these bogans, I don't know, whatever you want. <laughs> just turn around and say, I don't care. I'll tell you why I don't care. And this is when he, he turns up and he says, uh, here's the choice we have. We can either, either obey you or we can obey God. But we're not going to shut up. We're not going to stop talking. We're not going to change our plan of what's going to happen here. There's a few things, I guess, that, that I, I feel when we, when we look at that passage and when we, when we read that and when we think about, right, oh, that's how it was for the disciples and maybe, maybe some principles there that, that also work for us. And there's a few things that take place there that I think, you know what, that's the same for us. Firstly, the disciples hung out with Jesus. The disciples were close to Jesus. Um, and I guess that, that ridiculous passion that they had for him was a result of them being close to Christ. You get that? They're, 
the ridiculous passion that they had, the reason that they could stand up, the reason that they could, like, you know, they're on trial, their fate is in the hands of those people who are the authorities, and the reason they could just turn around and just say to them, you know what, don't care what you say because it's not how it works for us, is because they'd spent time with Christ in close proximity. They'd actually seen stuff, they'd actually done stuff, they'd spent time with him, they got to know who he was. And because of that, because of that relationship, because they had a close proximity to Jesus, they had the confidence to turn around and go, I don't care what you say because I've got something better going on. And I think that's the same sort of stuff that can happen for us today because I can stand up here all day long and I can say, right, we need to turn it up. You know, we need to, we need to, you know, talk about years past or something you see on TV you know there's going to be a revival and we need to get ourselves together and we need to get out there and we need to you know we could you can stand up here all day long and say that sort of stuff but it's never going to work it's going to be real short-lived and you might walk out here and you might think there's a possibility uh you might go oh well that's that's inspiring and oh okay I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do and then by tomorrow you've, you've forgotten about the whole message all right it's just like oh whatever next week you go oh I vaguely remember something about that there's nothing in it you won't be inspired to turn it up. You won't sustain that sort of stuff unless there's a close proximity that you have with Christ. Unless it's a sustained proximity. Unless, it's like, unless you're lingering with Christ, unless you have that relationship, that walk with him, uh, then it doesn't matter how much someone can stand up and say, yeah, you should be fired up for Christ or whatever it might be. It's not going to be. It's not going to happen. It's empty words. But if you can spend some time with Christ, if you can get close to Christ, and then let him inspire you, let him demonstrate to you those sort of things. That's when you can have the confidence to say no. Another thing, point number two, I guess, in this, what it means for us. Um, Peter and John chose Christ over cool. Let me, let me, let me, let me demonstrate, let me, let me explain what I mean. Back in the day, the authorities were, were it in a bit, all right? Everyone did what they said, and they were the ones that everyone thought, well, if they've got it right, that's what we should be doing too. And, and you know, everyone sort of, you know, that, they, they made the rules, and everyone sort of had to abide by them. They were the cool people, so to speak. Maybe they weren't so cool, I don't know. But, but for us, you know, like, how, do we choose Christ over cool? Do we choose Christ over what other people's opinions are? If you're a student at school, you know, it's pretty obvious, unis, whatever, or even in our own workplaces, there's a same, it's a different thing, but it's the same. Do we choose Christ over cool? Do we actually say, you know what, it doesn't matter what other people think, it doesn't matter what people's opinions are of me, I'm going to turn the volume up, I'm going to turn it up just a little bit more, I'm going, to, I'm going to live my life for Christ how I want to live my life for Christ, not what other people expect me to do, not when other people just say, hey, shh, you know, just turn it down a bit, put your earphones in, will you? You know, like, say, you can hear it, that's cool, but don't, don't, don't annoy me with your music. Or are you going to go, no, no, you know what? I'm going to live this out. There's something worth living here. There's something worth, there's something worth sharing. Um, and, and the thing about being cool, I guess, is that it always changes. And, and, you know, when you think you're cool, next week you're not. Happened to me. No, I didn't really. I was never cool. But, you know, it, it, it changes all the time. And, and it's true, I've never, I've never been one to uh, follow fashion. I, I never even tried to, I never even started. Um, but, you know, fashion changes every year. And, and, you know, 
students, you know, the, you know, the fact you can just look at mum and dad and you just think, oh, mate, they're so far out, because like, they're just, they've given up on fashion, you know what I mean? Because cool keeps changing. Choose Christ over cool, because you never know what, cool, what is cool next. We never know what's, what's in, what's fashion, what's, what you should or shouldn't do next. And sometimes we can sort of just keep trying to fit in, but choosing cool, choosing Christ over cool. That's what these guys did. They said, yeah, I don't care what you say. I don't want, I don't, you can try and conform us, but I'm not going to conform to your ways. It might be the social pressure. It might be whatever. We're not going to conform to the ways. And I guess number three, I guess ways in which we can turn stuff up here, which we can take the principles of what happened here in this story, is that these guys remembered the cross. These guys understood the power of the cross just like we can still understand the power of the cross. And what I mean by that is, if you think about the stories, you know, you can imagine Peter and John as they were standing before the Sanhedrin, as they were standing before the authorities, as they were standing there on trial with their lives in the hands of these guys. But they started to think, you know what, it wasn't all that long ago that there was this big storm and I was out on a lake and there was this huge big storm and, then, and, and we thought we were going to die and, and Jesus was asleep on the lake and then... Like, in fact, we knew we were going to die and we were scared out of our brains, you know, but he just stood up and he made this couple of words and, and everything was calm and we, we were alive. That freaked us out. He would remember those stories. He'd remember the stories of, of you know, raising Lazarus back, to, back from life. He would remember, were, these guys would be remembering all these, all these experiences that they've had in the past. Don't forget those experiences. Don't forget when God's worked for you in the past. Don't sort of just, it's, it's so easy just to, I guess, you know, yeah, I used to have a great experience, or there was this one time, you know, back in 1900, and you know what I'm saying, like way back when, I don't know. Don't put them, they're significant things to remember. Don't just live in the past either, but don't forget the past. You understand what I'm saying with that? Don't, don't, just, don't just live once upon a time stuff. But at the same time, remember when God works, and even in the little ways, in, in every, you know, every week, every month, when God's at work. Remember those times. And these guys remembered the cross. These guys, these guys would have, they remembered the time when they, when they thought that, you know what, Our, this whole plan's up the creek. Everything's gone pear-shaped. Everything's gone to custard. And then all of a sudden, they're in this room, literally freaking out, and Jesus turns up and stands there. And it clicks for them, and they realise that that death is not, is, is not a problem any longer, that, that Christ has power over death. And they remember the, that whole cross experience. And I guess as we, like I said, as we, as we head towards this, this series about, you know what, how do, we, how, do we, how do we turn the volume up on our life a bit? How do we turn it up? How do we, just, how do we make our life live a bit louder for Christ? I challenge you not to, not to just do the the ho-hum stuff, the, oh yeah, I guess I should go to church, or oh yeah, well, you know, people like Neil stand up there all the time and say, you should read your Bible, which is good, by the way, that's true. But, you know, you should pray or whatever, and you go, oh, whatever, oh, I haven't read my Bible for a week or so now, I suppose I should, you know, it's getting a bit dusty, it's time. Like, not because you have to, not because you're obligated to, but living it, making it real. Like I said, if you're spending time with Christ, all of a sudden it's not a, it's not a challenge, it's, it's, it's just what comes out. Helping people, helping others like, 
how many times have I heard people who are like, oh, I don't know what to do, or oh, I feel a bit lost, or I feel a bit lonely, or whatever. And you say, have you ever like, thought about helping other people? And just the fact that, not, not even talking in the spiritual realm right here, but just, you know, just go out and make a difference. Just go out and, and like, do something for someone else. And the difference that that can make in, the, in just in actually serving someone else and actually doing that sort of stuff that Jesus did, just practically helping, helping someone, living out that, that life of love, demonstrating God on show, turning up the volume. So I'll challenge you this week uh, to think, you know, what if we all did that? If we just turned the volume up just a few notches, you know? Like I said, I'm not talking about screaming loud, so obnoxious that people around just go, mate, go away. But just turn it up a bit and just let people around just see what's going on with you and see what, that's, what sort of difference can be made. Guarantee, guarantee you'll enjoy the music as much as the people around you. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so very much for your love. I want to thank you for the stories that you've put in the Bible and the, these, these messages and the stuff that we can get out of it. And it's still the same for us. the same for us as it was for Peter and John. Um, people we've never met but we've read plenty about but I want to thank you that you don't change and that we can still live a life with you and I pray that we can do that this week I pray that we can turn up the volume just a bit so that people around us can hear maybe not even audibly but can hear um, figuratively speaking can see us can hear us because you live in us I truly pray that for every single person uh, here today thanks Lord Amen. Thank you, everyone. Really, really hope you have a fantastic rest of your, your Sabbath day. Enjoy the sun.